Section 1 of Notes of a War Correspondent. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry Eads. Notes of a War Correspondent by Richard Harding Davis. The Cuban Spanish War. The Death of Rodriguez. Adolfo Rodriguez was the only son of a Cuban farmer who lived nine miles outside of Santa Clara, beyond the hills that surround the city to the north. When the revolution in Cuba broke out, young Rodriguez joined the insurgents, leaving his father and mother and two sisters at the farm. He was taken in December of 1896 by a force of the Guardia Civila, the corps d'élite of the Spanish army, and defended himself when they tried to capture him, wounding three of them with his machete. He was tried by a military court for bearing arms against the government, and was sentenced to be shot by a fusillade some morning before sunrise. Previous to execution he was confined in the military prison of Santa Clara with thirty other insurgents, all of whom were sentenced to be shot, one after the other, on mornings following the execution of Rodriguez. His execution took place the morning of the 19th of January, 1897, at a place a half-mile distant from the city, on the great plain that stretches from the forts out to the hills, beyond which Rodriguez had lived for nineteen years. At the time of his death he was twenty years old. I witnessed his execution, and what follows is an account of the way he went to his death. The young man's friends could not be present, for it was impossible for them to show themselves in that crowd in that place with wisdom, or without distress, and I like to think that, although Rodriguez could not know it, there was one person present when he died who felt keenly for him, and who was a sympathetic though unwilling spectator. There had been a full moon the night preceding the execution, and when the squad of soldiers marched from town it was still shining brightly through the mists. It lighted a plain two miles in extent, broken by ridges and gullies, and covered with thick, high grass, and with bunches of cactus and palmetto. In the hollow of the ridges the mist lay like broad lakes of water, and on one side of the plain stood the walls of the old town. On the other rose hills covered with royal palms that showed white in the moonlight, like hundreds of marble columns. A line of tiny campfires that the sentries had built during the night stretched between the forts at regular intervals and burned clearly. But as the light grew stronger and the moonlight faded, these were stamped out, and when the soldiers came in force, the moon was a white ball in the sky, without radiance, the fires had sunk to ashes, and the sun had not yet risen. So even when the men were formed into three sides of a hollow square, they were scarcely able to distinguish one another in the uncertain light of morning. There were about three hundred soldiers in the formation. They belonged to the volunteers, and they deployed upon the plain with their band in front playing a jaunty quickstep, while their officers galloped from one side to the other through the grass, seeking a suitable place for the execution. Outside the line the band still played merrily. A few men and boys, who had been dragged out of their beds by the music, moved about the ridges behind the soldiers, half-clothed, unshaven, sleepy-eyed, yawning, stretching themselves nervously and shivering in the cool, damp air of the morning. 
either owing to discipline or on account of the nature of their errand, or because the men were still but half awake, there was no talking in the ranks, and the soldiers stood motionless, leaning on their rifles with their backs turned to the town, looking out across the plain to the hills. The men in the crowd behind them were also grimly silent. They knew that whatever they might say would be twisted into a word of sympathy for the condemned man or a protest against the government. So no one spoke, even the officers gave their orders in gruff whispers, and the men in the crowd did not mix together, but looked suspiciously at one another and kept apart. As the light increased, a mass of people came hurrying from the town with two black figures leading them, and the soldiers drew up at attention, and part of the double line fell back and left an opening in the square. With us a condemned man walks only a short distance from his cell to the scaffold or the electric chair, shielded from sight by the prison walls, and it often occurs, even then, that the short journey is too much for his strength and courage. But the Spaniards on this morning made the prisoner walk for over a half-mile across the broken surface of the fields. I expected to find the man, no matter what his strength at other times might be, stumbling and faltering on this cruel journey. But as he came nearer, I saw that he led all the others, that the priests on either side of him were taking two steps to his one, and that they were tripping on their gowns and stumbling over the hollows in their efforts to keep pace with him as he walked, erect and soldierly, at a quick step in advance of them. He had a handsome gentle face of the peasant type, a light pointed beard, great wistful eyes, and a mass of curly black hair. He was shockingly young for such a sacrifice, and looked more like a Neapolitan than a Cuban. You could imagine him sitting on the quay at Naples, or Genoa, lolling in the sun and showing his white teeth when he laughed. Around his neck, hanging outside his linen blouse, he wore a new scapular. It seems a pretty thing to have been pleased with at such a time, but I confess to have felt a thrill of satisfaction when I saw, as the Cuban passed me, that he held a cigarette between his lips, not arrogantly, nor with bravado, but with the nonchalance of a man who meets his punishment fearlessly, and who will let his enemies see that they can kill but cannot frighten him. It was very quickly finished with rough and, but for one frightful blunder, with merciful swiftness. The crowd fell back when it came to the square, and the condemned man, the priests, and the firing squad of six young volunteers passed in and the line closed behind them. The officer who had held the cord that bound the Cuban's arms behind him and passed across his breast let it fall on the grass and drew his sword, and Rodriguez dropped his cigarette from his lips and bent and kissed the cross which the priest held up before him. The elder of the priests moved to one side and prayed rapidly in a loud whisper, while the other, a younger man, walked behind the firing squad and covered his face with his hands. They had both spent the last twelve hours with Rodriguez in the chapel of the prison. The Cuban walked to where the officer directed him to stand, and turning his back on the square, faced the hills and the road across them, which led to his father's farm. As the officer gave the first command, he straightened himself as far as the cords would allow, and held up his head, and fixed his eyes immovably on the morning light, which had just begun to show above the hills. He made a picture of such pathetic helplessness, but of such courage and dignity, 
that he reminded me on the instant of that statue of nathan hale which stands in the city hall park above the roar of broadway the cuban's arms were bound as those of the statue and he stood firmly with his weight resting on his heels like a soldier on parade and with his face held up fearlessly as is that of the statue but there was this difference that rodriguez while probably as willing to give six lives for his country as was the american rebel being only a peasant did not think to say so and he will not in consequence live in bronze during the lives of many men but will be remembered only as one of thirty cubans one of whom was shot at santa clara on each succeeding day at sunrise the officer had given the order the men had raised their pieces and the condemned man had heard the clicks of the triggers as they were pulled back and he had not moved and then happened one of the most cruelly refined though unintentional acts of torture that one can very well imagine as the officer slowly raised his sword preparatory to giving the signal one of the mounted officers rode up to him and pointed out silently that as i had already observed with some satisfaction the firing squad was so placed that when they fired they would shoot several of the soldiers stationed on the extreme end of the square. Their captain motioned his men to lower their pieces, and then walked across the grass, and laid his hand on the shoulder of the waiting prisoner. It is not pleasant to think what that shock must have been. The man had steeled himself to receive a volley of bullets. He believed that in the next instant he would be in another world. He had heard the command given, had heard the click of the Mausers as the locks caught, and then, at that supreme moment, a human hand had been laid upon his shoulder, and a voice spoke in his ear. You would expect that any man, snatched back to life in such a fashion, would start and tremble at the reprieve, or would break down altogether. But this boy turned his head steadily, and followed with his eyes the direction of the officer's sword, then nodded gravely, and with his shoulders squared, took up the new position, straightened his back, and once more held himself erect. As an exhibition of self-control, this should surely rank above feats of heroism performed in battle, where there are thousands of comrades to give inspiration. This man was alone, in sight of the hills he knew, with only enemies about him, with no source to draw on for strength but that which lay within himself. The officer of the firing squad, mortified by his blunder, hastily whipped up his sword, the men once more leveled their rifles, the sword rose, dropped, and the men fired. At the report the Cuban's head snapped back almost between his shoulders, but his body fell slowly, as though someone had pushed him gently forward from behind, and he had stumbled. He sank on his side in the wet grass without a struggle or sound, and did not move again. It was difficult to believe that he meant to lie there, that it could be ended so without a word, that the man in the linen suit would not rise to his feet, and continue to walk on over the hills, as he apparently had started to do, to his home, that there was not a mistake somewhere, or that at least someone would be sorry, or say something, or run to pick him up. But fortunately he did not need help, and the priest returned. The younger one with the tears running down his face, and donned their vestments and read a brief requiem for his soul, while the squad stood uncovered, and the men in hollow square shook their accoutrements into place, 
and shifted their pieces and got ready for the order to march, and the band began again with the same quick step which the fusillade had interrupted. The figure still lay on the grass untouched, and no one seemed to remember that it had walked there of itself, or noticed that the cigarette still burned, a tiny ring of living fire, at the place where the figure had first stood. The figure was a thing of the past, and the squad shook itself like a great snake, and then broke into little pieces and started off jauntily, stumbling in the high grass and striving to keep step to the music. The officers let it pass the figure in the linen suit, and so close to it, that the file-closers had to part with the column to avoid treading on it. Each soldier, as he passed, turned and looked down on it, some craning their necks curiously, others giving a careless glance, and some without any interest at all, as they would have looked at a house by the roadside or a hole in the road. One young soldier caught his foot in a trailing vine, just opposite to it, and fell. He grew very red when his comrades giggled at him for his awkwardness. The crowd of sleepy spectators fell in on either side of the band. They, too, had forgotten it, and the priests put their vestments back in the bag and wrapped their heavy cloaks about them, and hurried off after the others. Everyone seemed to have forgotten it except two men, who came slowly towards it from the town, driving a bullock-cart that bore an unplaned coffin, each with a cigarette between his lips, and with his throat wrapped in a shawl to keep out the morning mists. At that moment the sun, which had shown some promise of its coming in the glow above the hills, shot up suddenly from behind them in all the splendor of the tropics, a fierce red disk of heat, and filled the air with warmth and light. The bayonets of the retreating column flashed in it, and at the sight a rooster in a farmyard nearby crowed vigorously, and a dozen bugles answered the challenge with the brisk cheery notes of the reveille and from all parts of the city the church bells jangled out the call for early mass, and the little world of Santa Clara seemed to stretch itself, and to wake to welcome the day just begun. But as I fell in at the rear of the procession and looked back, the figure of the young Cuban, who was no longer a part of the world of Santa Clara, was asleep in the wet grass, with his motionless arms still tightly bound behind him, with the scapular twisted awry across his face, and the blood from his breast sinking into the soil which he had tried to free. End of the Cuban-Spanish War The Death of Rodriguez